Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. So if you were here last week, you know we talked about a pretty sensitive topic. We talked about gender and transgender, and we kind of got into all of that. And there was a lot there. Uh, if, you, if you missed that, please go back and, and listen to that online. There was a lot there. It was a good conversation to have, but it's, it's a pretty heavy topic. So this week, we decided to lighten it up a little bit, and we're going to talk about trauma. <laughs> Let me explain why, in a series on the body, would we talk about trauma um, the reason why is that some of you shake and you don't know why. Some of you get migraines that doesn't seem like there's a good explanation for it. Um, things happen to us and near us and we witness things that have a profound effect on our bodies, not just on our, our thinking or our minds. And so we want to talk about that in a series where we're, we're looking at what the body is, what our body tells us about God, what God tells about our body. We want to look at those kind of things. We are living in a time right now, I think, where we are dealing with and talking about trauma maybe more than ever before in culture. And so I think we need to spend some time addressing that. Uh, how, do we, how, do we, how do we deal with that? Because um, everybody's talking about it. Um, I, I think there is a perspective here where uh, we could say, hey, trauma is real, and there's a real thing, and there's some real things that we need to talk about about, about what happens in the body. And I also think um, there's some drama where people take normal things and they overestimate the impact of those things or they kind of uh, just make too much out of it and they take some normal things and they call them drama. And so I think it's important to have some perspective. In fact, um, I've thought about this for years, but I actually saw, I think it was on Instagram or something, but there was this uh, perspective about people who grew up in years past, because we always kind of be like, you know, these kids these days, they don't understand. It was like, you just sound like an old person. I get that. Um, but uh, this is an interesting perspective. So just listen to this. Let me read it to you. It says, imagine you were born in 1900. When you were 14, World War I starts, and it ends on your 18th birthday with 22 million people killed. Later in that year, a Spanish flu epidemic hits the planet and runs until you're 20, 50 million people die from it over those years. When you're 29, the Great Depression begins, unemployment hits 25%, global GDP drops 27%, that runs until you're 33, the country nearly collapses along with the world economy. When you turn 39, World War II starts, you aren't even over the hill yet, but when you're 41, the United States is fully pulled into World War II. Between your 39th and 45th birthday, 75 million people perish in the war, and, and, and the Holocaust kills 12 million people. At 52, the Korean War starts, and 5 million people die. At 64, the Vietnam War begins, and it doesn't end for many years. 4 million people die in that conflict. Approaching your 62nd birthday, you have the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is a tipping point in the Cold War. Life on our planet as we know it could very well have ended then. Great leaders prevent that from happening, and as you turn 75, the Vietnam War finally ends. Think of everyone born on the planet in 1900. How do you survive all that? And then a kid in 1985 is going to think that their 85-year-old grandparent doesn't understand how hard school was that day. 
Yet those grandparents and now great-grandparents survived through everything I just listed. I give that to you just for the perspective it brings. By most metrics, the world has never been better. And yet, we are more aware of things that are wrong in the world than we ever have been before. Let me just read you this list of stats. It's kind of interesting. Uh, More people have been elevated out of poverty in the last 40 years than all of human history. War, disease, and natural disasters kill less people now than at any point in history. In 1800, half of all children died before the age of five. Now, that is less than 4%. In 200 years, global literacy has gone from 12% to 90%. The average child today has more access to information than the U.S. president had in 1900. And the U.N. reports that world hunger has been eradicated except for cases where political or military conflict blocks people's access to food. So here's my question. If things are so good, why do many people feel so bad? Like, what's, what's going on there? We are more consumed with, there's more good news out there, but we are more consumed, consumed with what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with ourselves in our personal lives. And, and some of us have trauma, but it's odd how much that's now a national conversation. From 2004 to 2016, the word trauma shows up in internet searches about the same every year. It is not a prominent word in America. It's just a word that shows up just like a lot of other words. But from 2016 on uh, till now, it, there's been a massive spike in, that, in how much we search for that word and how much we're talking about and thinking about uh, trauma. That, that word has just blown up over the last few years. We've never used it more than we use that word right now. So in this series, uh, and, and today with trauma, I'm hoping that we can have a honest, hope-filled conversation about trauma and drama um, and, 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 and dive into that. And, and I want to look at specifically because we're followers of Jesus, I want to look at how Jesus handles this very real physiological thing that happens in his body when it comes to trauma and see what we can learn from from him in that. Now, experts put trauma into uh, three categories, and you will probably relate to these on some level. Number one, trauma can be in the form of things we never received. So it could be neglect and abandonment. Some of you, uh, you know, you had to raise your siblings because your parents weren't around, and so you, you didn't get emotional support, so you find yourself, it's difficult for you to give it to others. Uh, maybe you tried to be an overachiever in order to compensate or whatever, but you, you're dealing with there are things that should have been placed that were not for you. Other people, uh, there's another kind of category of trauma is singular trauma. This can be like a major accident, a tragedy. Uh, you, you, lose a, you lose a child, you lose a, 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 someone you're very close to, a car accident. Uh, a one-time event can be very, very traumatizing, and, and so um, many of us have that. Or there's something they'll call complex trauma, which is uh, this ongoing abuse or this space where you consistently feel unsafe. And this could be um, all, all sorts of things. It could be this long period of a, a destabilized sense of safety where you didn't feel safe, you didn't feel valued, your personhood was under attack. It could be things like sexual abuse or chronic sickness that you were dealing with, uh, domestic violence, 
some people have argued that the, the pandemic in the last couple of years uh, put people through this, where we stared at our phones for a few years and um, just absorbed all the fear and anxiety and uncertainty that goes with that. And that was a, um, some would argue that was a traumatic experience. Um, and, and, and it was a form of complex trauma. This is a challenge to talk about because in our current world, uh, we do tend to incentivize and dramatize trauma. We, it, it has some social currency, so uh, people are tempted to say that they have trauma even from something that's actually a pretty normal life experience. If you don't believe me, go on TikTok, go on to Trauma TikTok, and you will find all sorts of uh, things and, and prescriptions for how to handle things that another generation might have just said, that's just normal life, and now it's, somehow it's trauma. Um, on the other hand, we don't necessarily do a good job of handling some really hard stuff that can make us feel overwhelmed. In, in this room right now, there are those of you who have dealt with neglect and domestic violence and sexual abuse and betrayal, and sudden death. Um, and so we need to get real about that stuff, and we need to find a way forward. And I don't know that I have a, a precise um, solution or a way to release the tension of some people get overly dramatic, but there's actual real trauma. I don't know that I can solve that perfectly. But I just want to point it out there and throw it out there because I, I'm guessing if I feel that tension, you felt it too. You go, okay, this is bad, and then is that really that bad? Like, it's, it's hard to sort that out. I'm, I'm sure you felt that also. So I wanted to take a look at a traumatic moment in, in Jesus' life and see what he models for us in, in how he handles something that I, we, we could only describe as, as trauma. Um, Jesus was um, arrested in Jerusalem, and he was falsely accused of things. They just People made some stuff up about him in order to punish him. And the punishment was to be crucified, so he was whipped and beaten and hung on a cross and, and left, nailed to a cross and left there to die. Um, and I want to kind of pick it up in that in, in Matthew 27. It describes this. Listen to this. It says, Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, they whipped him, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away, led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, they compelled this man to carry his cross, and when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means a place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there, and over his head they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Um, so... Uh, in this moment, uh, what, what we see, uh, actually, let me, yeah, let, me read this, let me read this other part to you as well. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. What did Jesus experience in, in, in all of that? He is betrayed by his closest friends. He is accused of hypocrisy and arrogance. 
when he spent, let's put these on the screen, when he spent his whole life serving in humility. He was unjustly prosecuted and sentenced to death. He is physically assaulted, emotionally humiliated. He's stripped, mocked, and beaten, spat on, robbed from, and taunted like a criminal. That's what he goes through. And I, I think we would say this is neglect and abuse, a traumatic singular event, and ongoing abuse in the state of being unsafe. So however we define trauma, he is definitely going through it in, uh, in, that, in that situation. And I think that's important to remember because when we go through stuff, we never have to wonder, well, does Jesus really get what I'm going through? Yeah, he's been, he's been through it. And what's weird and maybe different about what Jesus goes through is he knows it's coming and he goes towards it. He embraces this. He knows he's going to get crucified. He prays to God about it. He deals with it. He, he knows it's coming and yet he walks right towards it. Oh, that's very different than our trauma. Trauma for us usually comes as a surprise. Usually it's something that pops up that we didn't want to have happen. Almost none of us see trauma in the future and then willingly walk towards it and embrace it. But that's actually what Jesus did, and it had a profound effect on his body. And he knows it's coming, so he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray before he goes through all of what I just read you. He goes to the Garden to pray because the, the physical man, Jesus, does not want any part of what's coming, right? Like he knows this is going to be hard. And so he prays. Let me read it to you. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And talking with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He prays, um, and actually another version of that same account of him in Gethsemane says that when he prayed, uh, his, his sweat was like drops of blood. Luke, Luke writes about it. Luke 22 says this, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is actually a medical uh, condition called hematohydrosis, um, and it's when... Uh, you can read about that. It's, it's literally that idea that you're, there's so much pain and anguish that the sweat and, and, and uh, blood vessels and stuff, this stuff sort of gets mixed, and, and it's like you are uh, sweating blood. It's, it is a real thing. So let me sort of connect the dots on all of this for you. Um, if you've ever talked to someone about uh, their trauma or what trauma does to the body, um, I think you see this. You see what Jesus is going through. Like, he is the picture of trauma in the body. If you've talked to a woman who has been abused and she, th- she throws up even to talk about it, if you've talked to a guy who's come back from uh, Afghanistan or Iraq and, he, and the stuff he saw and experienced there, he, he, he shakes when he talks about it. This is what trauma can do. Uh, to, to the body. Uh, real trauma affects the body this way. And if facing trauma and facing your trauma doesn't terrify you, then there's a good chance it may not be trauma at all, actually. It might just be drama. So how does Jesus model handling it? How does he do it? Number one, Jesus confronts it. It's interesting to me that he prays for relief from God. Not, you know, 
basically he prays in the garden. He says, God, if there's any other way to do this than me going to get killed on a cross and beaten and whipped and all this stuff, if there's any other way, let's do that. And then he says, but it's not my will, it's your will. So I'm going to go the direction you call me to. And eventually he stops praying, and as the people are coming to arrest him, he literally gets up and walks towards them, knowing that they're going to arrest him. He goes right at the thing of pain. He confronts this traumatic thing that he's about to experience. So I, I heard something interesting. Um, cows and buffalo exist naturally in the world together in one place, and that's in Colorado. So there is a home where the buffalo roam, and it is, apparently it's in Colorado. And if you've been there, we used to live out there. If you've been there, uh, the front range where most people live, uh, all the mountains are to your west, and you see the storms whenever there's bad weather. It comes in over those mountains from west to east, so you see it coming over the mountains and coming towards you. And it's interesting when cows, when that, when that rain comes, when that storm comes, cows turn away from it, and they run away from it. They don't run fast. I mean, they're cows. They're not like, you know, it's not a gazelle, but they move away from the storm. And by running away from that storm, what they end up doing is prolonging the amount of time that they're in the storm because they're running effectively in the same direction it's going. Buffalo do the opposite. Buffalo wait for the storm to get real close and right up on it. And when it's on it, on them, they turn and run west. Uh, and, and in doing so, they actually end up spending less time in the storm because they ran right towards it. And no, this isn't a neat little story about agriculture that you can take to your 4-H club later. Um, this is about us. If we can minimize and confront and walk towards the trauma, um, we, can, we, can, we can grow. Uh, Jonathan Haidt, uh, he, he says it this way. When someone is dealing with PTSD, the last thing you want to do is shield them from small reminders. In fact, the only way to get over the Pavlovian conditioned fear is to let them be exposed to things where nothing bad happens, and that's how the fear subsides. The way through it is actually to run towards it. So if you've had a car accident and that is a traumatic singular event and you are very hesitant to get back in a car, the last thing we should do is tell you never get in a car again. There's a way to run towards it so that you can get through it. You, you know, if we're going to practice holding the keys. Now you're going to practice sitting in the car and turning it on and let that go for a bit. Now we're going to take it out of the driveway. Now we're going to go around the block. And eventually we're going to go drive through that intersection again. But only after we've worked with you so that you know that it's safe and that there is a future and that the way things turned out in the past isn't necessarily the way it's always going to turn out in, in the future. Um, the best thing you can do then is to help people confront what happened to them lovingly in little bits over time and help them see that they still have a future and that they have a life. So Jesus doesn't uh, so Jesus confronts the sin. He, I'm sorry, confronts the, the trauma. He walks towards it. But he doesn't just do it by himself. Listen to uh, Matthew 26, 38 again. Then he said to them, his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Even Jesus, who could have handled this on his own, uh, recruits his friends to be with him in the thing. And that doesn't mean Jesus can't handle it. And it doesn't mean he doesn't have enough power. If anything, what that tells us is there's great power in community. 
And there's great power in dealing even with trauma of having others that are walking with you and walking beside you. Of all people in the history of the world, Jesus absolutely could have gone this thing alone. But he chooses to, uh, to get people to, to walk with him. This doesn't minimize the pain, but it maximizes the value of community. And for us to get healthy and get through trauma, we need community. Now, you might need counseling. That's true. But you also need community. You also need people who are walking with you. You need both. And it is a heartbreaking thing when, when we pastor people, when you, when you triage, when someone comes to me and they're like, I've got this, this, and this going on, and you want to triage that, and you go, okay, what's happening, and what can I, you know, and you try to hear, and you want to direct them to a support group. It is a heartbreaking thing when you find out they don't have any support group. They don't have people to walk with them through the pain. That's heartbreaking. And that's something, honestly, is part of the reason we have a church, is so that people can find their people so that we can link arms in this thing and walk through the stuff together. So if you don't, if, you're, if you would sit here today and say, I don't have much trauma, I don't have much in my past, I'm not currently going through things, I'm in a pretty good space. If that's true, that is great and I am happy for you. Leverage what you have and walk with other people as they are in it and be community for them, invest in others. So one, Jesus confronts the trauma. Number two, in this situation, Jesus gives control to God. Listen to Matthew 26. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It's going to be all right, man. It's going to be all right. We'll get through it together. I'm here for you. Um, that's the way we all feel in a sermon like this. Let's be honest. Jesus could have taken control in various ways all throughout. And you see this through the crucifixion, the whole standing on trial. Um, he, he, could, he could take control. At one point, he says, if I wanted to, I could call down angels and basically, like, smoke all these fools, right? I've got, I've got I, can, I, could, I could make this happen a different way if I want to. I have that kind of power. He has that kind of control. And yet he willingly uh, steps into his own crucifixion. He steps into it in, in a sense of obedience to his heavenly father. And because you are not just a mind with a meat skeleton, and you're not just a soul that's sort of disembodied, because you are this full thing, you are mind, body, soul, you are in, in this embodied self, um, sometimes mental things have a physical effect on you. Uh, sometimes things that hit you in the soul actually end up having an effect on your body. If you've been lied to, um, that can change even physically whether you'll get near somebody. If you've, been if you've been betrayed, that can change your personality. Um, it, it, it can. If you've witnessed harm, you've witnessed tra tra traumatic things, horrible things, um, that can rewire your brain and, and change your sense of or cause a glitch in your sense of reasoning. And when that stuff happens, we tend to grasp for control. We go, oh, this feels terrible. And so in our response, we go, I'm going to make it feel better. And we want to do things like take revenge. If I can get revenge, I will fix this. I, and and we, we reach for control to make it all right. And, and I think when we do that, and when we do these things without God involved, we do end up doing more harm than good. Now, if I say to you, in trauma, let God have control of your life, 
I can hear your eyes rolling right now. Like, it's not even loud, but I know that sounds like naive. Really? Trauma? Witness some hard things. I'm going to let God have it. Let go and let God or whatever. I get that. But I think what's, what's true here is that so often when we're in a traumatic situation or place, what we want is a map. I'm here, a map that says you are here, you need to go here. What are the steps I need to take through the city to get to there? And what we actually need is a guide. Because a guide can show you the way, can lead you through areas that are unsure and and has a sense of it, and a guide actually is with you in it as you're going through it all. And I think if we're honest, that's what we, what we, really, we really need. The Holy Spirit, when we get baptized into Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the Holy Spirit is described in the New Testament as a comforter and an advocate. And when we experience trauma, that's exactly what we need. We need comfort, and we need someone on our side who can advocate for us. And, and that's what, that's what we, are, we are offered, something better than a, a, a map. And I get it. I, in, when the chips are down, I want to take control also of everything around me to make it right. And it can be very hard to hand control over to God and go, God, I don't know what to do with this, but I'm going to, in prayer, I'm going to let you handle this. That can be difficult. But I think it's actually the, the most healthy way forward. So Jesus confronts the trauma. He gives control over to God. And then number three, Jesus forgives those who caused him trauma. This is one of the most stunning things you see in the crucifixion. We read about it, and he's spat upon, and his robes are torn, and they mock him, and they whip him. And then they hang him up, driving nails through his hands and his feet, hang him on a cross, publicly humiliating him to bleed out and die. And at no point, if that happened to you or I, if we were experiencing that, at no point would, be like, would, would, would we be like, man, these guys, they, they really don't know what they're doing. I mean, they're, they're just, they just messed up a little bit. I mean, it, it, you know, there's nothing in us that would be welling up with compassion for the people who did that to us. And yet, it's exactly what Jesus does. He says, on the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And I think he, he models for us what we can do when we go through trauma. If you think back to the last person who caused you trauma, the last thing you want to do is forgive them. But that's what Jesus does. And he ends up experiencing pain um, for, honestly, for the sins of all humanity. Isaiah 53, 5, in predicting about Jesus, says this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. It's a powerful thing. He, he experienced all of that on our, our behalf. So let me just give you a couple ideas here, and then we're done. Number one, a, a crucial part of healing is learning how to forgive those who've hurt you. So this forgiveness piece here, we have to learn how to forgive those who have hurt us. That doesn't mean you re-enter a toxic relationship with someone. It doesn't mean you have no boundaries. You still might need boundaries, but it does mean you forgive someone. You remove 
the power that the pain has over you by actually seeking to forgive and release it. And, and secondly there, um, I think this whole thing that Jesus does on the cross is a reminder to us that the work of healing does not just come from what we do, but it actually comes from what Christ has done. We can acknowledge our sin because we've messed up and we've done people wrong too. We can acknowledge our sin. We can repent from our sin. We can get baptized. We can put our faith in Jesus, and we can and and should do all of those things. Um, But he's the one who can um, remove our guilt and clear our conscience. In fact, 1 John, uh, we read this this summer, 1 John chapter 1, it says it this way. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, what was happening on that cross? The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This means no matter what you have endured or what you have caused, it can be it has been dealt with on the cross, and we can be made right again. The, the cross of Christ overcomes it all, and the grace of God is given to us freely. My guess is there's someone in here who, um, who ha- has who's gone through something that they think cannot be healed by God that they think it is too big of a problem, too big of a trauma, too big of a backstory to be redeemed, and, and the past is too broken for Jesus to fix. And, and I guess I'm here to tell you, um, forgive and confess your sins, and, and Jesus actually is faithful. The Scripture tells us he is faithful and just to forgive us. He can cleanse and heal even the most destructive backstories. And let me encourage you to be baptized. There's several people getting baptized today after church, and I'd love to see that continue more. If you've not done that, I was talking to someone else this morning saying they're, they've been considering it. Um, that, that might be the right next step for you. You can write it on your connection card and say, hey, I'm interested in talking about baptism. We'll, we'll sit down with you, uh, grab coffee or whatever, and we can talk about what, what your, your story is, and, and you, you give that to God. Let him do his, his work um, I think in this, in this day and age, most of us probably have some form of trauma in our past, um, but I don't think we have to face it alone. I think you can cling to Jesus and confront it and um, give him control and in time forgive those who have hurt you. And I think when we do that, we model the power of salvation to a world that desperately needs it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is another heavy topic, and it is a lot to process. And so I pray as we reflect on um, the singular events or the, the complex trauma or the different things that we've just experienced in the past um, that sometimes play out in our bodies, um, I pray we give those bodies to you. I pray we give our heart, mind, soul to you, and that we step in and have the courage to forgive to confront those things so that we can move forward in a healthy way. God, for those of us who are in a space right now where um, trauma is not played out in our bodies and we're not, um, we're not 
in it or even have been in it recently, um, I pray we step up and offer an arm and a shoulder and a listening ear to uh, those around us and that we help others carry, um, carry the rocks that seem too heavy to carry at times. Um, God, may this be a community where we can lean on each other with this stuff. Thank you, God, for being faithful and just to forgive us and that you cleanse us. And thank you for the work of your son on the cross. In his name we pray. Amen.